Hello, and welcome to another episode of Words of Wisdom, a podcast series dedicated to reflecting on the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. My name is Jerry Weirwell, and it is my pleasure to be on this journey together with you to discover the powerful truths that God has revealed to those who desire to become wise and discerning. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good person will provide an inheritance for his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is being stored up for the righteous person. The first thing we need to do when reading a proverb is to identify the type of parallelism we are looking at. Now, this may not always be possible, as not every proverb conforms to a specific type of parallelism. If you remember from episode zero, Introduction to the Book of Proverbs, where I talk about the three main types of parallelism, most proverbs between chapters 10 and 22 can be identified under one of these three categories. What we see here in in 13.22 is that there's not a repetition between the two lines as in synonymous parallelism, or a completion or expansion of an idea as in synthetic parallelism, but rather we see a contrast between the two lines. What is said about wealth in the first line, which is represented by the word inheritance, is different from what happens to it in the second line. Thus, the parallelism we see here is a type of antithetic parallelism. Let's look more closely at the proverb and see what's being communicated by the contrast of these ideas about wealth. The proverb begins by saying a good person will provide an inheritance for his children's children. The Hebrew literally reads, a good person causes sons of sons to inherit. But this just simply means that a good person leaves an inheritance for their children and their children's children to receive. Now, it is important to understand what is meant by a good person. Perhaps initially, our mind might think good person means someone who is good-natured. This refers to someone who has a pleasant and kind disposition and is warm and thoughtful toward others. What describes this sort of person as being good is that they do good and help others. But in the book of Proverbs, a good person is not strictly someone who is nice and willing to help someone else, but instead is a moral person who lives in a righteous way before Yahweh, which includes having a generous and kind heart. In Proverbs, something or someone that is good includes also being just, righteous, and trustworthy. In Proverbs 2.20, the good road is paralleled with righteous paths, and to walk upon one is to walk upon the other. And thus, the quality of being good denotes a person who exemplifies moral excellence and godly character. That is, they accomplish the purpose of what Yahweh expects in human behavior. In other words, they live according to Yahweh's standards and follow his commandments. By living with the fear of Yahweh, the good person seeks to bring the beneficent rule of God to earth through their submission and obedience to him. This is why in Proverbs 12:2 it says, a good person will obtain favor from Yahweh. Next, when we examine the phrase children's children, we might mistakenly think that the inheritance is meant to be given to the grandchildren rather than to the person's own children. But the Hebrew phrase, which literally is sons of sons, is signifying an inheritance that endures from generation to generation. In the ancient biblical culture, an inheritance was viewed as a sign of God's blessing, much like any other category of prosperity, such as an abundant crop harvest, the healthy procreation of livestock, success in business and trade, bearing children, and so on. 
the word inheritance, it just represents wealth in general. And it's paralleled by the word wealth in the second line to make that connection clear. In ancient Israel, an inheritance typically consisted of money, land, livestock, precious materials and gems, or any other valuable physical possession. This is much different than our world today, where a person can inherit literally anything. It doesn't even have to be real. You can inherit virtual securities, commodities, and equity like bitcoins, or web domains, or stocks. You can inherit a particular status or rights to something like exclusive memberships or a title, and even secrets and information like intellectual property and patents. Furthermore, in the biblical culture, families generally lived together, or at least very close together within the same community. Generally, the wealth of the entire family was owned and managed by the family patriarch, usually the father. But if he died or was not present, the authority would fall to the eldest son. So while the instruction contained within the book of Proverbs is almost always couched in male-oriented terminology, it's not exclusively meant for men alone. The wisdom of Proverbs applies to everyone, but we need to understand the culture in which Proverbs was originally written in order to grasp why it was written the way it is. A good man is one who works diligently, being faithful and true in all his dealings, and makes sound decisions regarding money so that he can accumulate wealth. This requires wisdom and patience, along with much self-control and discipline. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, The plans of a diligent person will lead to abundance, but everyone who acts hastily surely will come to poverty. And 21.20 says, Desirable treasure and oil are in the dwelling place of the wise person, but the foolish person consumes it. Without diligent attention to one's business affairs and without moderating expenditures and allocation of resources, a person will end up with nothing to give their children because they consumed it all during their life. To live before God with wisdom means to plan and prepare for the future, not just for ourselves for our entire family. And a good person looks ahead and stores up wealth in order to benefit their children and their children's children. It is important to clarify that the wisdom of the proverb is not about being stingy and pinching pennies our entire lives, but rather about being mindful of not being wasteful, that is, overspending the financial and material blessings God provides. Saving a portion of what the Lord has given to us with a view toward benefiting our offspring, as well as their progeny, is a godly and righteous desire, and is commended here in the book of Proverbs as being in line with God's purposes and expectation of proper human behavior. God intends for wise people to grow in their wealth. Proverbs 14.24 says, The crown of the wise is their wealth. Wealth is to be accumulated over one's life. And then in the end, that blessing is meant to be passed on in order to benefit others. Granted, Proverbs is assuming the ideal circumstances of a godly husband and wife living righteously before Yahweh, who have children who have also grown up fearing and obeying the Lord. However, such circumstances are not always the reality of every family situation. 
nonetheless, stewarding wealth wisely so that a person will have the means to benefit their family for generations to come is an enterprise endorsed by and advocated for by God himself. This is the goal to which a good person sets their sights and endeavors to achieve in their life. On the contrary, as the second line of the proverb shows, this objective and desire is not so for the sinner. A sinner designates a wicked and evil person, someone who disobeys Yahweh habitually and cares not for living under Yahweh's rule and according to his commandments. In a strict antithetic parallelism, we might expect the second line to say something like, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for his own sake, as the counterpart to their children's children in the first line. Instead, the proverb states that the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous person. How exactly does that happen? What sort of circumstance could the proverb possibly be envisioning? The premise that is likely underlying the proverb is that godly people most often view their wealth through the lens of their own greed. Furthermore, the proverb assumes that the sinners, that is the, the wicked, they desire to store up or accumulate more money due to greed. But what sinners don't realize is that their wealth is deceptive in that they will only have it for a season. And in the end, it will not be passed on to their children. Instead, it will be given to the righteous. The logic of this conclusion seems unusual until one recognizes the law of retribution that is prevalent in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs, the order of the world functions according to cause and effect relationships, where doing what is right, that is good, is rewarded, and doing wrong, that is sinful and evil, is punished. This principle can also be described like this. Who you are will determine what you do, and what you do will determine what happens to you. To say it another way that perhaps captures the meaning a little more clearly is that a person's character flows into and defines their conduct, which then results in or produces consequences. And so here in Proverbs 13.22, the punishment of the sinner is not just the loss of their wealth at the end of their life, but it includes the transference of it into the hand of the righteous person. What an unexpected twist on the punishment that will befall the wicked. All the effort of gaining wealth in life for the wicked person will be taken away and given to the righteous. As interesting as this punishment is, this proverb is not universally true. Even though some people probably wish it to be true, most likely the predominant meaning of the proverb is eschatological. That is, it relates to end times. This can be seen in light of Proverbs chapter 2, verses 20 to 22, where it says, Therefore, you are to walk on the good road, and you are to keep to the righteous paths. For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. In the eschatological view of Proverbs, the righteous will receive life and blessing, and the wicked will be cut off and destroyed. Therefore, while a proverb like chapter 13 verse 22 may find some partial fulfillment in certain circumstances now, it is probably not to be viewed as the normal expectation. But we can be sure that its final and ultimate fulfillment will indeed be true and will take place in the kingdom when Yahweh's rule is completely established and evil is vanquished from upon the earth. As we were talking about giving an inheritance, let me tell you about a man named Scott Nash. Nash grew up on the East Coast in the state of Maryland. 
His father was a professor at the University of Maryland, and his mother was an avid naturalist. While growing up, Nash struggled in school and got into plenty of trouble with drugs, delinquency, and vandalism. What made things more difficult was that Nash's father died when he was a senior in high school. This sent Nash into a tailspin as he found himself looking at life without any plan or purpose. After graduating high school, he decided to attend the University of Maryland, but by his sophomore year, he had decided to drop out. He moved back home with his mother, who was still reeling from his father's death. Nash didn't have a job, and his mother started charging him rent, so he realized quickly that he needed to figure out some sort of work to do in order to earn money. His first thought was that he would go into business. In reminiscing about this time in his life, Nash said, when people would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd say, I want to own my own business. But that had more to do with the fact that every boss I had ever had was an idiot, and I thought I could do it better. I was always scanning the horizon for opportunities. Well, opportunity soon came knocking when Nash was hired to work in a warehouse for an organic wholesaler. He then got a job working for a small mail-order business that shipped produce to consumers around the country. But then about four months later, Nash and a co-worker decided to open their own produce delivery service. And that was a brief stepping stone for Nash, because soon after, in 1987, at the age of 22, he opened his own home delivery service out of his mom's garage with a $2,000 loan from his mom for the initial inventory. He called it Mom's Organic Market. Nash's business strategy was to deliver organic groceries on a local level to surrounding neighborhoods in Maryland. The business was an instant success, causing Nash to have to move out of his mom's garage and into a 900-square-foot warehouse within the first year, with a gross revenue exceeding $100,000. By the end of the second year, in 1988, he had doubled that. Then, in 1989... After a special report was released on 60 Minutes about alar and apples and the toxic nature of pesticides that are used on produce, Nash and the organic grocery industry caught a big break. And in 1990, Nash opened his first retail grocery store in Rockville, Maryland. Based on a store environment that gives customers a unique shopping experience with minimal signage and aisles that are twice as wide as normal, Nash's vision was becoming reality. After three decades of success and expansion, Mom's Organic Market now has 19 store locations along the East Coast in four states and Washington, D.C., with over 1,000 employees and annual revenues of $200 million. Nash never anticipated reaching this level of success. In an interview, he said that he has made more money than he cared to divvy up among his three kids. What exactly does Nash mean by that? Nash commented that he thinks people generally ought to be in survival mode, mentally, until their mid-30s. And so, Nash and his wife haven't told their children that anything is coming their way in terms of inheritance. Nash believes that this could be dangerous to their motivation. The way Nash sees it, he and his wife won't leave their kids more than 2 to $3 million each assuming that he and his wife live until their children are approaching middle age and will have worked without expecting to inherit a fortune. Nash's strategy for leaving such a small fraction of his wealth as an inheritance to his kids is to help them avoid painful situations. 
But on the other hand, he wants to leave them enough so that they can send their kids to good colleges, live where they want to live, and take some vacations. An inheritance is meant to be something that helps an individual or family to be able to experience or achieve things they may not have been able to do on their own or in a way that doesn't require as much sacrifice. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verses 11 and 12 says, Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing. It benefits those who see the light of day, for wisdom provides protection, just as money provides protection. But the advantage of knowledge is this, wisdom preserves the life of its owner. Nash said he'll leave his kids plenty of money, but never so much that they don't have to work. This is a similar sentiment to something that Warren Buffett has been noted as saying. A very rich person should leave his kids enough to do anything, but not enough to do nothing. An inheritance can certainly offer assistance and provide financial protection in life, but money can also lead to greed, strife, laziness, and many other deleterious outcomes. Nevertheless, an inheritance given in the right way and at the right time is God-honoring and is a blessing to the recipient, benefiting them and their children and their children's children and so on. An inheritance doesn't have to be a lot of money. It doesn't have to be an entire fortune from a multimillionaire. What matters is that a person views passing on their wealth as a way to share the blessing of the Lord upon their life with their children. There is an incredible need in preparing children for receiving a financial inheritance. An inheritance shouldn't just be about money. It should be about relationships. Parents can form deep and meaningful relationships with their children by sharing wisdom on how to handle financial wealth, how to make decisions regarding it, and how to avoid succumbing to the temptations that come with it. But not everyone will have the opportunity or receive the blessing of an inheritance. According to a 2018 Charles Schwab study, more than half, that is 53% of young people ages 16 to 25, believe their parents will leave them an inheritance versus the average 21% of people who actually received an inheritance of any kind. Setting aside a portion of the wealth we earn in life and planning to pass it on to the next generation is a demonstration of godly wisdom. But an inheritance should be more than just money. It is a way that we can share our knowledge of success and prosperity to help our children live with wisdom and steward well the gift we give to them. Thanks so much for listening to the Truth or Tradition podcast. We hope you're enjoying this new series on the words of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And for more biblical resources, you can visit our website, truthortradition.com. And there you can subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of the future resources that we post.